And it's the simplest answer to the most difficult questions. So with happiness and to sort of help yourself and things like that is that realize actually it's just about having friends and having good connections. And that will actually sort you out in the long run. Hello and welcome to the Straight Talking Doctor podcast. My name is Dr. Mark Cox and this is the podcast dedicated to improving your health and happiness. My aim is to demystify the complex world of wellness and mental health through eye-opening conversations with guests from any and every walk of life. No topic is out of bounds, no question too big or too small. As well as discussing my guests' inspiring stories, I want my conversations to fuel you all with useful and actionable tips that you can adopt into your daily lives. In this first series, we shall be taking a journey into mental health, tackling topics such as dealing with trauma and depression, overcoming addiction, and beating cancer not once, but twice. So thank you for joining me on this journey. Please sit back, get comfortable, and enjoy the ride. My guest today is the one and only Jamie Lang. Jamie is a true giant of the podcasting world and has been on an incredible journey since bursting onto the scene over 10 years ago. This conversation was hugely eye-opening for me. I certainly saw a completely different side to the Jamie that I first saw on TV many years ago. Jamie has had to deal with his own mental health struggles, suffering from depersonalization disorder and severe anxiety, and now uses his experience and platform to try to help others. Today we get stuck into what makes Jamie tick, focusing on how he has coped with the limelight and what fame and success have taught him about what is truly important in this life. We even delve into what Jamie was like as a little whippersnapper. Jamie is a natural born storyteller and was a joy to chat to. He was full of advice for anyone suffering with their own mental health battles and I truly hope you enjoy listening to this podcast as much as I enjoyed recording it. A quick disclaimer, despite having my microphone plugged in, I did manage to record the conversation via my laptop, so apologies if the sound isn't perfect, but I'm sure that won't affect your listening experience too much. Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for sitting and chatting with me today. Oh my God. So uh, listen, dude, I'm, I'm sci- I never do podcasts. Like, I, like <laughs> well, I do do podcasts for myself, but I never actually do anyone else's podcast. And so for my girlfriend, who you know, she basically uh, said, you've got to do this one with this guy. And I was like, okay, fine. Then I heard that you were a doctor. Then I heard that you were working in a COVID ward. Then I heard that you were doing this podcast. And I was like, holy smokes, okay, let's freaking do this. And so, yeah, this is one of the sort of podcasts that I've done for someone else in a while. Shoes on the other foot today. Yeah, 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 totally, totally, totally. So you're a busy guy. You've been up to loads recently, I hear. So just tell us a little bit about what's been going on in the world of uh, Jamie Lang. Well, I, do you know, I, sometimes I don't really know what I do. I was just saying to you just now, I was like, I kind of looking at my diary and I was like, I'm really busy. I've had a PA, like a PA. And um, weirdly, what I've realized in life, right, is that when, the reason why being kids is so amazing is because, and it sounds so obvious, but we don't have responsibilities as kids. And that's obvious, right? We don't have to worry about our food typically, or we don't have to worry about like houses or like roof over our heads and stuff like that. But as we get older, those things we have to worry about, that's fine. It's more the fact that actually responsibilities, we have to, especially being a freelance like I am, I work for myself all the time, you have to constantly gain responsibilities all the time and that's what makes it harder. So my diary at the moment is so rammed of I don't even know what. Like today, I'm doing a podcast with you, then I'm doing another podcast later, then I've got meetings throughout the day, then I was meant to shoot a TV show but that got cancelled, so then I have to go and do something else, which I don't even know how got put in there, but 
TV show was cancelled last night, and now I'm doing something else in the time. I don't know what the hell it is. So it's kind of back to back. But that's the way I like working. I hate sitting still. Yeah, it must be nice having that amount of variety. You mm. mention kids in there, uh, yeah. and that's my first question. So what sort of kid were you growing up? Oh, my God. I've just written a, a book. <laughs> I, I don't know why I've done it, but I was, off, I was basically asked to write a book called I Can Explain. I named the title I Can Explain. So I, and I went back to all of my childhood and what it was like as being a kid. I was a, excuse, I'm going to swear here, I was a fucking nightmare. <laughs> Honestly, dude. I was like the biggest nightmare you can possibly imagine. I, Do you know what? It doesn't surprise me. I know. Like, like okay, so first I was, I was like two weeks early, right? So the doctor, that's pretty early, right? Two weeks. Yeah, fairly. I was born on my parents, my parents were divorced now when I was eight, but they, I was born on my parents' anniversary, 3rd November. I was a cesarean. Uh, and when my, I finally was like lying next to my mum and she looked at me, she read my horoscope and my horoscope said, getting, uh, my horoscope said, beware the Scorpio born at dawn. <laughs> I was a nightmare. Honestly, I would like steal money. I would <laughs> hide keys down drains. I'd smash windows. Always lie. I would never not lie. Lie about everything. So it was impossible. And I would lie to the extent where you know I was lying. I knew I was lying. We both know that we know that I'm lying, but I was still lying because you couldn't prove it was wrong. And when did, you're an impeccable bloke now. So when did it all change? It changed, seriously, it changed when uh, I was 27 and I got something called depersonalization, um, which is pretty horrendous. But I, like, I actually was thinking about this the other day. I taught, it's a freaking horrendous thing. So many people um, have experienced it. Basically, what it is, is where you as a doctor know far better than me, but my understanding is, is that your body has been through, through so much stress, either depression or severe anxiety or PTSD or psychosis or all these different things. And you basically get sent in this dreamlike state. Um, in my book, weirdly, I describe it like I've, I'm in a shit Instagram filter. That's what it felt like. It felt mm. like I was floating above my body. And that lasted for about six months. I went to psychotherapist who told me this thing, says, yeah, depersonalization. And he says, just, you know, you've got to just deal with it. Hmm. So I started to look after my body a bit more. I started to um, not try and be the most popular guy, the funnest guy. I stopped trying to live a, a person who I wasn't. And from there, it started to change. I realized that family was really important. I realized that um, relationships are really important. I realized that friends are like gardens. You have to water them to make them grow. Um, and so I started putting effort into things that actually mattered to go on a tangent right and i'm sorry i'm probably answering all these questions at once but i, I saw this thing once where this guy spoke about what creates happiness right it was a ted talk and he basically there was an experiment a social experiment done but they got in i don't know 1915 or something like that ages ago they got oh, i can't be that but 1930s let's say they got every Harvard graduate who wanted to do it, and it was 780 Harvard graduates they got. And they followed them throughout their entire lives. There's eight alive today, right? And they followed them throughout their entire lives. Every two years, they would track them, and they would check their brain activity, who they were friends with, what jobs they're doing, all these different things. And throughout their lives, there were some presidents, there were some alcoholics, murderers. Um, there were people who were salesmen, who were brokers, who were painters, lots of very different amounts of people. And what they realized at the end of their lives, and typically with a social experiment like this, after a decade, the funding runs out or people get bored or people stop doing it or die or whatever it is and it stops going. This is the social experiment that lasts forever, still going today. And they realize that what creates happiness um, isn't about fame or money or the things that you really want to achieve when you're younger. What creates happiness is actually uh, strong relationships with friends and um, monogamous relationships. That's what does it. 
and it's the simplest things in life that, that create the happiest stuff. I keep going to keep talking because I just I got another point I need to say, which is so interesting. Uh, Rory Sutherland, who's this amazing guy who works for the Ogilvy Group, really, really smart dude. He uh, told me the story once. It was about the monument building, I think, in America. And the monument building was incredibly dirty, and it was this big white building. And it was a massive tourism site, it still is. Um, and they wanted to know how to clean it. So what they did is they jetted it down with jets. And the problem was is that the water went into the cracks and it froze at night and the cracks got bigger. So it actually started to ruin the building more. So he said, well, why is there crap all over the building to make it dirty? So he said, well, there's pigeons shitting all over it. So they put these spikes up on the building to stop the pigeons landing on it. People complained about the spikes that made the building look ugly. So he said, well, why are the pigeons up there? Um, it's because they're eating the spiders. So they pesticided the whole building to stop all the spiders going up there. And that didn't do anything to the spiders. So they said, well, why are the spiders up there? They're eating all the mosquitoes. So why are all the mosquitoes up there? And they realized that all they had to do was turn the lights off at night on the building, the floodlights, and that saved the building. And it's the simplest answer to the most difficult questions. So with happiness and to sort of help yourself and things like that, is that I realized actually it's just about having friends and having good connections. And that will actually mm. sort you out in the long run. Yeah. I think everyone I've ever met who I look at and think, wow, you've got your, you've got your shit together mm. and they are happy and they are true to themselves will say the same thing. Really? They do do, do be, you see that? They can be a patient on a ward uh-huh. who maybe comes from very little and just be one of these people that, you know, exudes love and mm. compassion and care and you think, wow, you've got it down and they will say the same thing. Mm. Um, or it could be someone, you know, who's in a very privileged position, mm. but, you know, you're not always happy with fame and success. And no. And I think that sounds like you've probably found that along the way. Um, yeah. That maybe... You, you know, drive for the wrong 27 things. 27, you said you were, when these things really hit home. Yeah. If that's about right, which is, which is you know... I was drinking a lot as well. <laughs> I was, really I was drinking a lot and abusing my body a lot in that way and just, just making wrong decisions and stuff like that. And so it kind of just made me... Um, made me go back to what was important life. So, uh, yeah, I, I was a nightmare until that point of 27, and then I started to change things around, I think. The depersonalization, to go back to that, yeah. uh, is really interesting because it's not something that is well-recognized. It's not something that has a lot of treatment options for. So the medical, like in the medical profession, it's not hugely well-known. It's not something you, as much as one in 50, supposedly, will suffer. Really? That's what it, that's what it says online. Um, wow! But it's not something that is picked up. It's not something that's recognised very often. So mm. the fact that you recognised it in yourself and had treatment for it, or you know, we'll go into that a little bit now. But um, I was it's, lucky. It's amazing. I was lucky because, look, you know, we spoke about this briefly before. Um, in order to gain help, right, in in terms of your mental health, you you typically have to have money. Because you have to pay for it or things like that. So, and, you know, most people can't afford these things or they can't, you know, the NHS is so underfunded. Um, and with depersonalization, I, I, I went to a therapist. The therapist didn't even know what was wrong with me. And I was explaining these symptoms. Oh, I feel like I'm floating above myself. I feel like I'm uh, not alive. I feel like I'm going mad. Like all these things. Yeah. And I feel like, I, he said, well, are you just really anxious? I'm, like, I'm not depressed. I just feel like I'm not in my body. Yeah. And then I went to, he sent me to a psychotherapist. Psychotherapist cost 600 quid, seen for one hour. That was it. Wow. 600 pounds, one hour. You know, that's someone's like, you know, salary, right? And, um, and he said to me, you have depersonalization. And I said, well, what the hell's that? He explained it in this one session. That's the hour. I said, well, what did I do at the end? He says, well, you know, go and rest. Or you have to pay another 600 pounds the next session. Mm. It's crazy. So I just had to kind of figure it out myself. And I, 
thank God for Google. I Googled everything yeah. I possibly could and found forums and stuff of like this that people were saying, well, this is what I felt, and I started to relate to people. And they said, oh, I felt like this, this, and I was like, oh, thank God that other people are feeling the same way that I'm feeling. So I don't know what your exact experience of it was, but depersonalization, people tend to feel like they're not themselves. They're seeing mm. themselves in a dreamlike state or sort mm. of a dissociative state. Um, and they can feel numb or not in control. So I don't know what yours All of that. was like. Um, that is exactly how I felt. I felt that I was um, just not part of myself. Yeah. And in terms of treatment, there doesn't seem to be any recognized medications, although some people say that they use antidepressants to good effect. Really? Uh, particularly, I guess, if there's a depressive element there. Some people use CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and then I did see online that there is some sort of transcranial magnetic stimulation. So I, I don't know quite how what that, that would work. I think that it, you basically put sort of magnetic stimuli onto the head and go through some sort of session there. But... You know. that, that, so it's that serious that you can send waves through you in order to make supposedly so I guess if you were resistant and you couldn't it would be one of those end end of the line therapies if things weren't weren't improving dude it sucked and for anyone who experiences it I feel really sorry for you guys because um, yeah I uh, the only thing I can say is is exercise and rest do not drink do not Drink caffeine. Do not take drugs. Mm. Do not do anything like that. If you do, you'll 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 hurt yourself even more. You, it's it's a really intense experience. Um, I weirdly experienced it when I was 22. I had a panic attack when I was 22. This is sort of start of my journey with anxiety. Didn't know what the hell was going on with me, and I thought I was dying. Typical panic attack scenario. Heart started racing. Started feeling faint. Um, thought I was going to die. That got worse and worse and worse until I convinced myself I was dying of a heart attack. All these different things. Went to hospital. The guy said to me, you're having a panic attack, don't worry. And I said, well, you mean having a panic attack? He said, I'll oh, just go and have a Coca-Cola and go home. And so I went and had a Coca-Cola and felt awful. And it was just the most horrendous thing. And yeah, I, I actually do laugh about it now because honestly, I was like, this sucks. But that panic attack led me to like this anxiety that I had for six months and stuff like that. And throughout those six months, I had this sort of depersonalization state. But I kind of got through it because I just drank through it. Yeah. Just drank. Self-medicated. Yeah, self-medicated through, through instant relief and instant gratification. Yeah, we touched on that before the podcast and with instant gratification. And I think that feeds into what most people do these days. Uh, we self-medicate, whether that's mm. with alcohol, drugs, mm. food. Food, I think, is a massive one. You mm -hmm. know, eating. Sex. Stuff. People like sleep with different people. Yeah, everything. And... Yeah, it's a massive, a massive thing. And I think realizing that that's potentially not the best yeah. way out of whatever you're dealing with. And that's the first step, I think. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And accepting help and, and going and trying to find help. You you did mention before about the NHS and having to pay for it. And that's, it's very true. The NHS is underfunded. There is obviously help from the NHS. But we were saying before, during my time in general practice, it would be difficult because you'd, have, you'd be faced with patients who were very low, you know, yeah. they're at their end's wit, and, and you're telling them that they have to self-refer to a talking therapy, that they might not get seen for a couple of months because the waiting list is so long. Yeah. And I can only think of what the effects of the pandemic has had on that. So it's really difficult, isn't it? And, you know, we're faced with a real battle. And that's why it's so important to talk about it, tell people the options. I actually did a podcast with a, with a psychologist recently, and we talk about the different talking therapies within that and the different things that are available. Um, I just worry about, I just, I just think that... Um, it's like a like a so this would be like a lava going through towns and villages across the UK at this mental health pandemic, and people just are still not clued up to how horrific it is for, for individuals. Mm. Depression, 
you know, I've had severe anxiety, things like that. I, I don't think I've, I felt sadness, yeah, but I've never had, you know, depression, I don't think, touch wood. And I can't imagine people dealing with depression where you, you don't even want to get up in the morning and you're just stuck and you're going looking for help and the help isn't there. You have to just wait six weeks for someone to say, okay, take this pill or that pill. That's it. You know, it, there's no answers for you at yeah. the moment. I think it's really and tough. Even, and even more difficult if you haven't been able to come and tell people about the depression. That's mm. what the worst part of, my, of depression and why suicide rates so high because when someone is depressed, they feel shame and, and guilt mm. about their depression, which is obviously no one around them would, would think that they should feel like that. But when you feel like that, you feel shame about how you feel and mm. guilt about or a burden to put that onto other people. So you don't do it. And then the sadness gets worse and worse. It mm. amplifies to a point of no return where you think the only way out is, you know, something very serious, oh, which, is, God. which must be absolutely horrendous for anyone that goes through it. We have, we have a, a family friend of ours who family friends, uh, and their son, um, 20 years old, you know, took his own life the other day and it's crazy. And 20 years old, Yes, and the, my, 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 my really tough thing, and I just want people to know this, right, there's such a stigma around taking antidepressants and stuff like that, and you've probably experienced this in your, your line of work. People don't want to take antidepressants because there's, you know, you gain weight or this happens, you think you're going to lose your personality or you're going to not be able to get off them again or whatever it is. But the side effect of not taking antidepressants is suicide. So... So why would you not take the other yeah. other side effects yeah, so over that people, one? Some people it can be, you know, it, it can saves be a, a, lives. Yeah, it does. Um, medication has a role. Uh, it's not the answer to everyone's sure. problem, but it has a massive role. And like you say, for some people, it can be the you know a matter of, of actually life and death. Um, and it's an option. It's an option that definitely should be considered without any feeling of sort of shame around shame it. around it. I, I'm not saying that it that it's the cure. It doesn't cure people. But I think what medication does do is it acts as a band-aid around you where you then start to heal. And I think that's the greatest thing about it. Typically with people who have, and you can know this far better than me, but in my experience, typically people with mental health problems is that they have things which they haven't uncovered and discovered about themselves and they haven't really thought about or talked about or they're acting different or whatever it is. Um, and you have to unlock all of that and get that out there and be honest and open about that. But I think the antidepressants or the pills or things that the medication acts as that sort of cotton wool that allows you to be open about those things and it yeah. helps you, gives you the sort of life jacket that you need to help yeah. you through it. Yeah, they're really good analogies. I think that's exactly how I describe it to patients yeah. and how I have done in the past. Um, it's like a buffer. It's a buffer zone. Yes. And it allows, it allows perhaps the sadness to be numbed or, you know, those difficult emotions, like you said, that need to be spoken about, that I think the main way out of men many mental health issues is talking about it, finding actual expert professional help. But sometimes without antidepressant, that's impossible for people, mm. and they can't do that. So it's a, a really important tool in our sort of toolkit that we use as doctors. Yeah, uh, I, I refused antidepressants when I was going through depersonalization <laughs> because of the things. It's going to change my personality. Um, I'm not going to be able to get off them. Uh, they are, are things that I, I would never take. Why would I take antidepressants? They're, they're people that other people take, not me. All these different things, I refused them. And actually, I, I really suffered because of that. I was in a really bad place. Yeah. Terrible place. Yeah. So let's go back a little bit to when you were younger. Mm -hmm. So little little ratbag Jamie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, nightmare. What was your experience of, did you remember any sort of experience of mental health at school? Was there anything ever spoken about? Um, yeah, nothing was ever spoken about ever. 
Um, but I was definitely an anxious kid, 100%. I had to be. Um, you know, any kid who smashes windows and lies and you can't sit still and uh, you probably dub them as ADHD now, right? But uh, no one died. They just thought I was a nightmare. Like I was always yeah. getting in trouble. Always, all these things. a naughty things. boy. Oh my God, just a naughty kid. And um, I remember when I, I was sent to boarding school at the age of eight years old. No one ever spoke about mental health ever, ever. And maybe that's a somewhat of a good thing when you're younger because typically anxieties are things that have been learned, right? You learn anxieties. And I remember being at boarding school at eight years old and I remember having a lump in my throat. And every time I swallowed, I could feel this lump, I could feel this lump, I could feel this lump. And I was like, oh God, am I going to choke on this lump? And I remember trying to throw up to get this lump out of my throat. That was anxiety, yeah, 100%. No one told it was anxiety. And if someone had come to me at eight years old and said, by the way, that's anxiety, you have anxiety. I would then learn the fact that I had anxiety and go, oh, well, I'm anxious. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I would then probably, because I would have been anxious about the lump and anxious about being anxious, I would have then typically catastrophized about that and then become worried that I'd be anxious forever. So it would have become even more anxious. But because no one told me about it, and the next morning I woke up and I was fine, I forgot about the lump in my throat and then moved on with my life. Um, but I remember, yeah, no one spoke about mental health ever. I remember the first time I heard about depression was when I was like 16. I had no clue people became sad or people, you know, I couldn't understand the concept of suicide and things like that. I just had no idea. Anxiety, what was that? You're worrying about worrying? What? That makes no sense to me. Um, So, yeah, but and I think that's probably because the only way you could have access to these things was going to the library and reading a book, you know? So that's that's the things that's changed now, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I I, I can echo that at school. There was no talk of mental health. It wasn't really a concept. So it wasn't a least... concept. And then when I had my panic attack at uh, 22, I remember going to people and saying, uh, how do you guys feel? Do you guys feel nervous or anything at the moment? They go, no. And I'm like, oh, you don't feel like you're worried about worrying? And they were like, no, I couldn't really explain it to them. Mm. And at 22, this is what, going back 10 years ago now, still things weren't spoke about. We've gone so far in life in terms of talking about these things, which is amazing. But it's only a decade ago. It's nothing at all. Yeah, I think that was probably on the precipice, wasn't it? When you were 22, 10 years ago, I think is how I kind of see things started to change. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not sure what the catalyst was. I just think that it's completely changed now, which is just uh, an amazing thing. So you've got little Jamie in front of you. Yeah. What would be your advice to a younger self? Oh, God. I got asked this the other day. Um, Someone said to me, what would you tell your younger self? It's so easy to say things like, um, don't worry about the future, or you're going to like land your feet, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm just imagining now a younger Jamie looking up at an older Jamie, freaking out, throwing stones at him. (laughs) Yeah, do you know what I would say? Um, I would say two things. I would say um, be loyal to your friends. You know, don't look for better things. I was always looking for better things, whether that was like older people, because I was always admiring old people, looking for different groups. Um, Your friendships are so important, and I neglected friendships. So I'd say don't neglect your friends. I'd say that. Um, and I would say be kind. I think being kind is so important. It's when you got to be kind. And I would also say, um, I would also say become an entrepreneur. I would actually say that to him. I was always so worried about finding a job and getting a job. And, 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 but um, I think, you know, working for yourself is tricky, but um, it's a very fulfilling thing. But I think the biggest thing is don't neglect your friends. Friends are so important. That's what I would say. Yeah, I think that's really solid advice for, yeah. a, for a younger kid. And I think most most younger kids struggle with that, you know, looking for bigger and better things, not ah. knowing quite what they've got in front of them. You and don't valuing those yeah. relationships is so important. And you know, it's not about it's and, and not it's not about like being in like a relationship or something. Like that. It's just your friends 
are so important and they are such building blocks for who you are. And I neglected friends for so long because, as I said, I was looking for better things. And I regret that. And I think it's so important for younger kids to keep their friends. Stay true to your friends. Preach. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about your anxiety and perhaps you were looking back at it anxious as a kid. Mm. Um, but things really got going when you said you had that panic attack. Mm. Is there anything you think that triggered these things off for you? Yeah. I, I look back now and I kind of work it out. I, um, I was so conscious of being cool. I was so conscious of being popular. I was so conscious of being the funnest guy in the room all the time, the loudest, the most exciting, this and this and this. So anxieties were building up by then. Plus, I drank a lot. You know, I went to university. I went to Leeds. I drank. I then, uh, you know, left university and I joined Made in Chelsea. And Made in Chelsea amplified everything. I thought Made in Chelsea was going to be the answer to all of my dreams. Mm. Oh, my God, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be validated. I can be friends with everyone. Everyone's going to admire me. And actually what happened was is that um, the opposite sort of happened. You know, people sort of laughed a bit at you. And you were famous, but you weren't famous. Your, your friends kind of went, oh, what the fuck is he doing? All this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so it kind of had this weird mixture that I was validated by strangers, but not validated by my friends. And so it had this complete mix match. And fame is a very weird thing. It's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. And I was having so much fun. But also I was so scared it was going to end at any point as well. So all of these things going on, plus I was drinking too much, having too many late nights, burning the candle at both ends. And my body just went, see you later. Or my mind went, see you later. And I had this, and I had GAD, general anxiety disorder after it, where I went from this outgoing person, this sort of confident guy to, I wasn't even that confident, I don't think, but I, I, I pretended I was confident. Yeah. To going really closed off and not wanting to leave the house, and but still having to film and pretend I was okay. So I was pretending I was absolutely fine while dealing with this demon with inside me, this black dog that I could never get away from, mm. this anxiety. And it was a really horrific experience. And it, because I was chasing, I was trying to be someone that I was, but so amplified up, I would have to go. So, and then when you do something like Made in Chelsea, it's you, but volumed up. So I would go into a scene and whatever, I'd be funny or something like that and it all loud. And then I would, we'd watch it back on social media and say, oh my God, Jamie's so funny or he's so loud or so this or so that. And so then you would say, okay, well, that means I've got to be loud all the time or I've got to be funny all the time. I've got to be this all the time because that's what people are going to like me. They're going to like me because I'm doing that. So then you kind of lose your sense of self because every single room you go into, you think you're filming. And so you think everyone's rating you. So then you would have to perform to everyone all the time. Yeah. And that's what leads you to this kind of situation that you're performing every day. I can imagine. Is that how you felt that you were just completely on show all of the time? All the time. And I did it for 10 years. So for 10 years, I thought I was on show all the time. So going for one-on-one -on -one lunches was too intimate. Probably doing this right now with just you, that would be too intimate for me. Oh God, I can't do that because I'm worried what you're going to think of me. Am I going to mm. make you laugh? Am I not going to make you laugh? Am I going to be this or that? And I was constantly performing. I was the joker. I was the jester. And... I, I really struggled with, with that. I, I, I couldn't, I would, I became lonely because I didn't want to see any of my friends because it was just too intimate. It's a really weird scenario to get into. I'm glad you touched on main Chelsea. I was going to delve into that a little bit because it was probably one of the original sort of reality mm. shows that I can remember. And it is such a mixing pot for people. Mm. And from what it sounds like with what you were like as a, as a youngster, it's a really dangerous environment to put someone in, in mm. a way. Yeah. Did you have any warning before you entered? Did anyone sit you down and say, look, this is, this is what it's going to be like. You know, how, how do you feel about this? Are you sure you want to do this? Was there any support around that? 
And no, there wasn't because those social experiments hadn't been done. They'd been done by like the Big Brother and stuff, but that was different production agencies. So maybe a production agency who had done it before would understand what would happen to individuals. But no, it, reality TV is cheap to make, and lots of people want to do it. Mm. So it's and it, and it gets high views, right? Because so it's, money, it's yeah. yeah, so it's it's a it's kind of like a perfect business model. Um, and you're you're asking young kids. Um, if they want to be famous or not, of course they do. Everyone who said, you know, typically, my, I mean, my brother wouldn't. I don't know, you know, my, maybe you wouldn't want to do it. But there are people like me who are wanting to be loved and popular and all these different things. Of course, you want to go on and be famous and stuff like that. Yeah. And so um, I, yeah, th- there was no warnings or anything like that. And and for people like myself, um, it was tough. And it's not made in Chelsea's fault. You have to understand, it's not any chance of anyone's fault. It's who I was which led me to, to having those issues and yeah. stuff like that. It's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because yeah. I think now we've seen, I mean, there's your story there. And there's countless other stories with reality TV. I'm thinking of Love Island. There's some yeah, yeah, yeah. high-profile, serious, serious cases of yeah. people really struggling, being thrown into a mixing bowl um, and then spat out the other side mm. and left on their own to deal with, you know, fame and social media. So I guess what I'm getting at is, do you think that these days that these companies do have a responsibility um, to the people that go on them to try and make sure that they're a little bit more protected? I, I think they do definitely have responsibility. And I think it should be a, a, a necessity that every single person gets a therapist and all these different things. I think there's lots of things that can be done. I think that the problem is, is the real problem lies with fame. Um, and the issue is, is that when you become, you become famous for nothing, right? So that was what, you know, you're not playing an instrument, you're not a comedian, you're not an actor, you're not doing that, you're just being on TV for being you and becoming famous. And then when you're famous, you're, fame is a very attractive thing because you get uh, free holidays or you get paid brand deals and stuff like that. But the problem is, is that you have to remain very famous at that peak in order to keep getting all those things. Mm. And the problem with reality shows typically is that they last for one season, you do it, and then you come off them, and that's it. And so you're then constantly trying to reach that fame, that fame, that fame, that fame, that fame. And unless you have a drive or a destination that you're heading to, you're just left with being famous. And then that starts to deplete. And it's like in a drug addiction where you're trying to grab it, trying to gain more and more and more, and it starts to drift away away. And then you think that your life is over because you're not that famous person that you once was. Um, so I think fame is the dangerous thing. I think being famous for just being you is a dangerous thing to, to be. Yeah. And I think you've, you're a really good example of moving forward through a reality TV show. That's what gave you your platform. Mm-hmm. But you've then gone on to do you know a multitude of things, um, which has probably given you the drive that has made you be who you are yeah but I was so scared not to achieve stuff so I was like oh I've got to do these things ah so I was freaking out all the time a very smart guy once said to me um if you're driving up the Leeds uh, up the M1 back to university um Leeds don't veer off to Manchester stay on the road please know where your destination is know where you're heading and so at the very beginning of doing reality TV I knew where I was heading I knew I wanted to set up a sweet company I knew I wanted to be a presenter and that's why I said from the very beginning, I never veered away from that. A lot of people who do reality shows just go, I'm going to be famous and see what happens. You have to have an idea of what you want to do or mm. a game plan. And my game plan wasn't, I was naive. I always say naivety is your biggest weapon. I didn't say, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to plan that. I said, oh, this is kind of what I wanted to do. And so when people kept asking me, what do you want to do? I said, well, I want to set up a sweet shop. 
Mm. And they said, well, would you want to do more stuff in TV? And I'd be like, yeah, I want to be a presenter. And so that subliminal messaging towards myself led me towards what I was doing. Um, and that kind of kept me on the right road almost. So I think yeah. you have to have a destination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you have to have a drive in everything in life. Yeah. You know, if you don't have that sort of thing that you're, you're gunning towards, mm. it's, it's easy to fall off the path, isn't it? Yeah, but, but the problem with sort of fame, in a sense, makes you lazy because you're given stuff for free. And you're given stuff and... and I always, you have to make your own career. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor, a reality or a musician or whatever. Yeah. You, ha you have to make your own career. You can't expect other people to make it for you. Yeah. And a lot of reality stars, because they've been given this golden ticket into this world, feel like another thing is going to land on their laps. And it totally doesn't. You have to go out there and fight it for yourself. That chance of being given this thing, yeah, you may get to deal with pretty little things or boohoo or whatever it is. But once that's over, the next thing won't come. So you have to fight for it. And a lot of people don't realize that you have to fight for stuff in life. Mm. So you, you, fame, we've talked about in a little bit of a negative way, but of course it brings its, its own benefits that, you, you know, that you've touched on there. Things will occasionally land on your lap. And, you know, but actually, there is a huge amount of pressure that goes with it. Mm. Um, you're definitely better these days at coping with that from what I, can, what I can ascertain. But how do you go around that? What do you do that makes you able to cope with the stresses and pressure of it? Um, the biggest thing that I had to learn recently, and I say this to anyone, um, and it's the hardest thing in the world. When, if you have anxieties or you have depression or insomnia or OCDs or whatever it is, is acceptance. And for many years, I never accepted my anxieties. That's not me. That's definitely not me. I'm not that warrior. I'm, I'm not anxious. That's other people. I'm fun. I'm exciting. I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. And you have to accept it. I had tinnitus, I have tinnitus now, but my tinnitus started five years ago. And um, the hardest thing about tinnitus is that it's incurable, right? So when someone says that's incurable, you have to accept it. And you treat it like a friend now. So you go, okay, uh, my tinnitus is up, it's loud, that must mean I'm stressed, I'm tired, whatever, those kind of things. Is that what triggers it off for you? Yeah, for sure. It's tiredness, stress, um, feeling anxious. Um, that's, it makes it very loud. I can hear it now, but I, I'm used to it. So I treat it like aircon in the room. If you sleep in a room with aircon or a fan, don't you don't think of it. If you think of it, you can hear it. So you do tinnitus like the same. And slowly by slowly, I realized that anxiety or things like that is like tinnitus. It's going to be with you. And it's a scary thing that someone says to you, you're going to have anxiety forever. It's going to be there. But you learn to manage it. I don't want to learn to manage it. I want it to go. Okay, and so I used to eat a piece of chocolate at 6 p.m. in the evening because that would save me from anxiety because once I ate chocolate, and my anxiety went. Or if I went to bed at 7 o'clock in the evening and had omega-3 or fish oils, that would help my anxiety, that would cure it. You just have to learn to accept it. So for me, acceptance is a massive thing, and that's one of the hardest things to do. Exercise, key. For me, it's massive key. It doesn't matter if you go on a run for five minutes or you go and run for two hours. Do some sort of exercise. Um, rest. The world isn't going to run away from you. You know, working 24 hours a day or doing things 24 hours a day is a really bad idea. <laughs> Like, I, I say to anyone who are leaving school, I say, go, go and take a year out. Go and work. Go and learn a language. Go and date. Go and travel the world if you can. Do something. And I understand it's very easy to say that some people, some people can't do that. But if you have the ability to do it, do it. the world isn't going to run away from you. Um, and when you're younger, you think it is. You think you're going to run out of time. Oh, my God, I have to do this now. No, 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 no. So rest. Take time to do things. Patience. It takes 10 years for to achieve anything. It doesn't matter if that's a brand or being on TV or music, comedian, it takes 10 years mm. to really establish yourself into a scenario. And just surround yourself with friends. 
or have connect, doesn't matter, not friends, but a friend, someone. Have a connection with someone. Go to lunch with someone. And some people say, well, I'm too anxious to do that. I'm too socially anxious. Expose yourself to those situations. If you're scared of walking across three drains because you think the world's going to end, walk across the three drains and see nothing happens. Expose yourself to the situations. And I promise you, the more exposure you give to yourself, the easier it will come. It's really hard at the beginning because you just ignore, 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 but expose yourself. So I would say those things really help me. Yeah. The three drains made me laugh because yeah. my girlfriend is yeah, 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 I have it as well still, but it, you know. I, can't, I laugh every time she does it. Yeah, she, yeah, she, yeah, she jumps out the way when she sees yeah, it. Yeah, of course. It's craziness. I love the fact you keep bringing it back to friends. Um, yeah, it's important. That's a really good theme that's run through the chat so far. And humans, I always say we need three things. You know, we need, we need food. Yeah. We need water. Yeah. And we need connection. Yes. And that connection is just pivotal like it's absolutely essential for us to function normally and when you take one of those three things away i think we slowly you know we slowly die unfortunately i really love that analogy i'm gonna steal that from you it's so true i just can't i I just can't you're gonna chase wealth you're gonna chase all these things and when you achieve it if you ever achieve it you're gonna go wow I've done that. Matt Damon, of all people, said the best thing that ever happened to him was winning an Oscar very young. Because when he won the Oscar for Goodwill Hunting at 22 or whatever it was, he suddenly realized how, how nonsense it was, how, how minuscule, how, how much it didn't matter. And you, a lot of people will go through their entire lives trying to reach that thing that they think they want to reach. And they'll reach it, or they will never reach it. But if they do reach it, they'll go, oh, fuck, I'm not really that happy. Um, and connections is so important. I just can't stress enough. I've said this before, but I'll say again, Socrates says there's two levels of happiness. The lower level, which is fame, wealth, power, the things that you want to achieve. And the higher level, which is relationships, connections, love, loyalty. And when you get the higher level, you realize that you're happiest you can be. Aim, look... I got told this thing again, sorry to give all the knowledge. Business is paid in two currencies, cash and experience. Take the experience first. The cash will come later. Don't mm. worry about money and stuff like that. If you just go and do stuff, experience it, have fun, get, make connections, have a great time. And you'll make money. You need to earn 72,000 euros a year in order to be the peak of happiness. That's it, 72,000 euros. I mean, that's a lot of money, of course, but that is the peak. Anything above that, then you have more interest. Yeah, Anything below that, you will the same, isn't it? Same. Yeah. So having millions and millions in your account doesn't do anything for you. As you have faster car and bigger house, the most, the most, the wealthiest you can be is if you have connections with people. One hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. I love that we're getting a bit of Socrates in there. I know. Sorry about Unbelievable. that. Jesus. <laughs> and in terms of connection as well, I think it's important to stress connection with friends, connection with family is definitely for me and probably for yourself the most important connection. But you can connect with anything yes. you know people connect with sport you know look, look at the euros that's just happened you know the connection that we felt to the football team that yes. we, we've been following you can connect with music you know you can you can connect with absolutely anything yes um and and if you can you know invest in that you're going to be happier in the long run I, sure. I totally think so don't invest in things that you don't like don't invest in things that um you think you're going to like invest in things that you actually love mm. really do it it's the wise old tale that people and listen to people who are older than you. They, they, you know, don't follow in their footsteps, but listen to people who are older than you because they have pretty good advice. And I never listen to them. Honestly, yeah, listen, take advice from older people. I think yeah. that's really important. They've got the wisdom, don't they? Yeah, they've the got the, the wisdom. Day. I love also the fact that you said acceptance. Mm. Uh, that's massive. And I think, like you said, it is difficult to actually achieve for a lot yeah. of things. And that takes time. It takes experience. But on top of that, I think from listening to what you've 
gone through, you've developed a sense of self-awareness as well. Mm. So knowing that that anxiety feeling, when you were eight and you had the lump in the throat, you didn't know it was anxiety. Yes. And when you were 20, you didn't know that that feeling on main Chelsea was anxiety that you were probably feeling and you were maybe acting out. But over time, you've developed a self-awareness for which you can then start to accept. Yeah. And I think that's massive. And I think, you know, I always stress that to people, knowing yourself yeah. and doing things that allow you to know yourself is is key. Well, I think it's like an arc. So you, you let's take anxiety, right? You have a weird feeling, which is typically anxiety, right? You have that anxiety feeling, but you don't know it's anxiety. That gets worse over time. You get told it's anxiety. You then fight that, so it gets worse and worse and worse because you fight because you don't want to be that person. Then you start to handle the anxiety, so it gets less and less, but still rumbling there until the point where you go back to when you were younger, when you just, you recognize it's anxiety. Before you never recognize anxiety, but now you kind of recognize anxiety, but you recognize it subconsciously. You just go, okay, that's anxiety, whatever. Mm. So you do this arc where you it's go, like air con in the it's background. aircon in the background. So you go, I have a weird feeling, don't know what that is. Okay, I've learned that's anxiety. Oh my God, I don't want to have it. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine, now I can kind of handle it. Okay, now it's just subconscious in the background. And that's what happens in the end. So when people say to individuals, oh, you'll have it, but, but um, you'll learn to live with it. That's a don't, it. It's a really scary thing to understand. Yeah. You will learn to live with it. It's absolutely fine. I have anxiety now, but I kind of know what it is. And so I have exactly like I was when I was a kid, but it now has a label, but I still have it the same like I was a kid and I just forget about it now. Yeah. And it's not the anxiety or the fear or the problem in our life that is the issue. It's it's our response to it. So the anxiety stayed the same for you. You still probably get a little bit less anxious, but you get anxious in situations. But it's how you respond in yourself to the anxiety. Yeah. Are you going to freak out and have that panic attack? Or are you going to take a few deep breaths? Or are you going to just that's think exactly about it. it in a rational way that allows you to not have that feeling? And I think that's the key is learning the self-awareness about yourself and then being able to act in an appropriate way or think in the appropriate way. And I would say to anyone who is struggling, keep fighting. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep going. It's like a cloudy day. There is blue sky above those clouds. It's just about finding a way back to the blue sky. It may take a week, a year, two years, three years, four years, whatever it does. Just keep fighting. Don't give up. Life isn't a dress rehearsal. We have one chance. And really just keep going. And I know that's so easy to say to people who are really struggling and it's a really tough time and all these different things, but keep on fighting. Yeah, really do. That's a great message. Uh, It can feel so hard. Jamie, I think it's fair to say you're a big mental health advocate these days. Yes. And I've seen you speak about loads of different things. And it's amazing how much you've used your platform. Yeah. When did you first speak out about mental health? Oh my God. Um, So... I, I, I tried to hide it for years. I didn't want to tell anyone. I was embarrassed about it. I thought I was alien. I thought I was different. And it's taken me a long time. I'd say it's taken me, to, you know, eight years to accept it and talk about it. And I'm becoming an ambassador for Calm, which is called a campaign against living miserably. You know, it was focused towards men. You know, I think there's, you'll know this better, 125 people take their own life due to suicide a week. Maybe it's more than that. 75% of them are male, right? It's a crazy statistic. Um, and I think now's my time when I've been through a lot. I've been lucky enough to have a lot of therapy around it and to help myself through different things. And I kind of want to offload that. I get a real buzz out of helping other individuals through it too. And that sounds like a selfish thing, but I really do. So I started talking about it because I knew that other people would be suffering. And I think that I'm in a very fortunate position um, and others aren't. So I wanted to try and help others. And so I reckon the past last last two years... I've started to be open about it because I think it's important to, but it took me a long time, eight years, I think. Wow. And just to round off, mm. 
for anyone out there, what yeah. is your last one bit of advice to improve their health and happiness? Oh, man, I'm just going to have to go back to the same thing. Um, friendship. Talk to your friends. I remember I never told anyone how I was feeling. And I phoned up one of my great friends, who is a pretty alpha male. And I said to him, I picked up the phone to him, and I just started crying. I never cried in front of anyone. And he said, you're right. I said, not really. And yeah, I said, I just feel terrible. And I didn't know what response I was going to back get. And he said to me, don't worry, buddy. We'll go through this together. It's like an echo back. Um, and for me, that was the best thing. So I would say for anyone who is struggling, for anyone who is suffering at the time, you can do all the things like exercise and stuff like that or meditate and things, but just talk to you about it. Yeah. Start speaking. doesn't matter if it's to your parents, to your friends, to your dog, to me, to you, whoever it is, to strangers, to forums. Start talking about it because as soon as you start talking about it, there is a little bit of release and also you'll realise that you're not the only one feeling that way and that's important that you're not alone. Yeah, amazing. Jamie, I could speak to you for hours. So good to you, buddy. Thank you so much. I'd love to do it again at some point. 100%, I would love that. Um, But let's wrap up here. Enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, Thanks for joining me. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks so much. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Straight Talking Doctor pod. I hope you not only found this episode interesting, but also hopefully learned something that you can use to help improve your life. If you enjoyed the podcast, or even if you didn't, I'd be so, so grateful if you could go onto your streaming site and leave a five-star review so that I can reach as many people as possible. Finally, if you have any feedback or suggestions for further guests, please get in touch with me at The Straight Talking Doctor on Instagram.